You're listening to the Passion Church Podcast. Our mission is to help people win by living a genuine Jesus-filled life. If you are ever in Cameron, Missouri, then come and join us and be a part of the Passion Church family. You can visit our website, passionchurchmo.com, to find out more about us. Well, uh, let me just say, this has been an exciting and unusual Easter Sunday. Uh, Unusual in that we're not congregated on the inside of the building, but we're here. Our heart is here. And uh, we're congregated in the way that we can legally at this time. And I'm so excited about what God's doing. There's something about an upset in God that goes a long way. There's something about when God upsets the order of something that brings something new, something fresh, and something powerful. And I believe that when the day comes that we can once again congregate, that God's going to do something so different, so unusual with the church, that we're going to be more ready, more awake than we have been in a long time. If you believe that, let the Lord know it. Amen. I appreciate that. It's, I'm telling you, there's such an expectancy on the inside of me. There's something down inside of my knower that just knows we're never going to do whole hum church again. God is adding life like never before. Uh, God is looking for that remnant church that we've been preaching about for years and didn't know how it would come about. But as I preached earlier this morning, I believe that we're in Matthew 25. I believe that the wake-up call has come to the body of Christ to trim our lamps and start lighting the way to the marriage supper of the Lamb. If you believe that, let the Lord know you appreciate it. Matthew, the 16th chapter. Matthew 16. We're going to start with verse 16, and we're going to read down to verse 27. I got a powerful message for you today. Hang on. Chapter 16. I'm reading out of the King James, so it's got all the these and the thous. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, Thou art Peter, And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Verse 20. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. For that time, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto the disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Verse 22. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Now, it's real interesting. Look what the Lord says to Peter. Then Peter... Verse 23, but he turned and he said unto Peter, 
Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Now that's a, a really unusual rebuke there, but what he's trying to get across to Peter, he's just praised him in one breath, and in the next breath, as he's teaching, you know, he's teaching him what must come to pass so that he can fulfill the Father's will, uh, he finds himself getting rebuked by the Master because Jesus is telling him, don't hinder my purpose in God. You, it's for your best interest that you don't hinder my purpose. And of course, he knew that this whole self-preservation spirit comes from the fear of, uh, in man, the innate fear that we're born with that we will die. And so he's getting across to Peter, uh, you're lining up with Satan, you're not lining up with me in, in the call for my life. Verse 24, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. And I'm going to stop right there. I want to say a very special thank you before I really get into the heart of the message uh, to Miss uh, Megan, uh, who built our cross that you see on your left-hand side outside there, on your, it would be your left-hand side, yeah, on your left-hand side over by the pillar. Now, you can't hardly tell it's a cross because it has a lot of sayings attached to it, and we're going to get to that in just a moment, but I appreciate her, her creativity in putting that together, and she's done a fabulous job, and anyone who helped her, thank you, thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Excellent, excellent. Now, at any time, if you agree with me today, you just honk away. You just honk and let God be God. I'll hear your amens as you honk, and we'll continue on We'll continue on with the message. You're not going to disturb me in any way, shape, nor form. So let's let God be God. I think one of the most interesting things in this story, first of all, <clears throat> it is the fact that Jesus called Peter Satan because he couldn't line up with the fact that Jesus had came to die. In another place in the garden, when Judas betrays Jesus, Jesus calls him friend. Now, you would think at that place he would be rebuking Judas and calling him Satan. But Judas was, was even though he had an evil plan in his heart, he was lining up with the call that was upon the life of Jesus to become a ransom for many because Jesus had a mission, he had a purpose, and he handed us his victory. I have a message today that I want to share with you called Bring It to the Cross. Bring it to the cross. Jesus took the most horrifying, diabolical torture device and turned it into one of the most cherished symbols in the world. A place of shame, a place of heartache, a place of grief, a place of fear, a place of agony has become one of the most cherished symbols 
in the entire world. Many of us adorn it as jewelry around our neck to identify with what happened at the cross. I want to talk about the cross itself today, if I could, for just a moment or two. First of all, the cross is a cross beam of woods that have become a crossroads. What was originally uh, the, the, the torture device of stopping someone has become the gateway and the bridge to eternity. The cross, that cross beam of wood, is a place of shame that depicts a criminal's death. If you're placed upon the cross, you're placed there because you are an enemy of the state and you are considered a person of great and high treason. And Jesus could have gotten out of the cross at any given moment, but because he knew it was his mission and the Father's purpose and the Father's plan, he stayed true to the mission all the way to the cross. Anyone on a cross is in a place of shame. And there, the person who's being crucified is crucified in the nude. And being crucified in the nude is a symbolism of complete exposure. Anyone who's placed upon a cross, they're placed there in the nude for that to be a sign of great shame. That when passerby see you, they see everything about you, nothing is hidden. But Jesus has turned that place of shame in an exposure into one of the greatest ways to come to know the Lord because when you come to him completely open and completely exposed, that is when God can get into your heart. That is when God can do exciting things. That's when God can turn the script and flip the script and cause you to become a, a new creature, a new creation. Now, if you like that, let the Lord know you like that. Mm. This despicable torturous device of cross beams uh, is a place of sure death. Uh, it is a place of no escape. Uh, once you are on the cross, you cannot get yourself down. You are immobilized. But think about it, saints. What better place for you and I to be than to be crucified with Christ? We can't get ourselves down. We can't walk away. We can't get away from the sacrifice of what Christ has done because he has taken us with him into a different realm, into a different place. And, and although it was a despicable place for him in the moment, it was a place of sure death and no escape for you and I if we get into that place with Christ and we pick up our cross and we bear our cross, then we are associating with the death that takes place there. And it's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives within me. Mm. The death here was cruel and barbaric punishment. The example of this, this death is that the subject who is on the cross has become an example to the world. This is not what you want to be. You do not want to be 
this person of shame, this person of criminal descent. You want to be somebody different than this person that's being made an example of. But I'm so thankful God has made me an example in this world that the sins that once so beset me and were stealing my eternal life have been forgiven and nailed to the cross of Calvary through Christ Jesus. And I've been set free, set free through his shed blood because I, I have been been to the cross and because I've been to the cross I'm living my best life now I'm living the best me now because what I used to be I was ashamed of but what I am now I'm proud of in Christ Jesus <laughs> I appreciate your amens the death on the cross was a warning to others do not try the authorities do not break the law. I don't know about you, but I don't want to break the law. Now that I have found the grace of Jesus Christ and he's done what I could not do, there's nothing left in me now that wants to break his law. But I'm grieved down deep in my spirit now if I should break his commandment or his law. I hurt on the inside to know that I may have hurt my heavenly Father. And that warning of the cross was, uh, don't break the law. It was a place of anguish and woe, it was a place where nobody wanted to go. And many people's hearts failed when they found out that they were sentenced to a cross. According to history, many people committed suicide rather than go to the cross. They would take their own life not to die such a shameful death. But one of the things I want you to know is that even before Jesus got to the cross, he was punished even greater beyond the extent of the average person who went to the cross because before he went to the cross, he suffered beatings and he suffered scourging and his body was ripped and torn and bleeding and he was left, uh, he was left uh, one lash short of death. He was on death's door whenever they placed the cross of Calvary upon his shoulders and they placed the crown of thorns of mockery on his head. He was already at death's door and then they laid the cross on him. Then they made him carry it to Calvary. Then they put him on the cross. Jesus suffered double punishment. Aren't you glad that he went the extra mile? Aren't you glad that he didn't just suffer once, but he suffered twice? Why? Because he had a double portion blessing ready for you and ready for I. He, he may have been one uh, lash short of death, but his double punishment brought to me the salvation of my soul and the pardon for treason unto God. For I once was a treasonous creature who blasphemed the name of the Lord God, but Today, I am his most ardent believer. Why? Because uh, Jesus suffered for me and bought for me a place through grace that I could come through the cross. I could come through his punishment and be in right standing with my heavenly Father. Double punishment. The salvation of my soul and pardon for treason and the blood that was shed there for the remission of sin. 
That word remission, I've heard it all my life, but do you know what it really means? It means the reduction of or the disappearance of disease. Wow. Think about that. The reduction of or the disappearance of disease. Mm. So Jesus brought us the healing for the effects of our sin, body, soul, and spirit, removing the disease for good. For as long as I live, I never have to enter into sin's disease again, for I've been set free. For whom the Son sets free shall remain free. So let me just lay this out to you. The next time you want to give in to sin, the next time temptation knocks on your door, the next time the enemy comes to try to woo you away from your belief and your trust and your, and your salvation in Christ, remember the scourging of Jesus that bought your healing. The next time you want to give in to sin, remember the scourging. Remember the crown of thorns the next time you want to give in to worry and stress and fear and anxiety and depression or mental illness. Just remember that he bore it for you. You don't have to bear it ever again. Jesus bore it for you. You have been set free. Your sin has been removed as far as the east is from the west and the devil has no right to you legally. He's already lost this battle. He's just trying to convince you he's still in charge. But the truth is, lock, stock, and barrel, Jesus took him to the ground. I'm preaching myself so happy I'm about to lose my voice, but I'm going to keep on keeping on. So remember, remember not to give in. Jesus paid a horrendous price to free you from that. The death of the cross is described in this way. The death of the cross, ladies and gentlemen, is a horrendous death. It was the most feared death in ancient history. It was the most feared death in ancient history. The first thing you must understand about being crucified, number one, not only the mental anguish and all of knowing that this is coming, but that the men who would put you on the cross, they did it with, with, with a seductive glee. There was something in them that was so dastardly in the deed that they did that they would invent creative ways to hang you on the cross to make its punishment worse. The death of the cross is impalement. It is being impaled and pinned through your body in a helpless fashion. Pinned and impaled but not killed. Pinned so that you are hung by your body but not, not killed. They would take a person and stretch them tight, their arms out and up, 
the soles of the feet. Often you've seen pictures of the crucifix and it shows Jesus' feet on a little platform, but that's not how Rome did it. Rome didn't put a platform for your feet to go on for convenience sake. Rome put your feet together and nailed between the bones of your feet, nailing both feet together with the soles of your feet against the vertical beam of the cross. That put great stress on the ankle bones and the feet and caused great distress and pain. Everything from the waist down, the waist, the hip joints, the knees, the ankles, and the feet would be in writhing pain. The upper torso of a man was stretched until the weight of his body was pulling and gravity was pulling his body down. And as gravity would pull against his own body weight, uh, it would put great stress and strain on the nails in his wrist uh, between the bones of his arms. And it would cause the person there great stress and pain. And that pain would shoot down the arms through the wrist and to the shoulders and the upper torso. It would cause great body spasms. Great stress would happen to the elbows and the wrists and the shoulders. And the pull on the arms would cause muscle spasms so great that the upper torso of the person or the subject on the cross would begin to, it would begin to pinch off their lung capacity. And so then they would begin to struggle for breath. And then they would begin to feel as though they are asphyxiating, as though they are, are going to die from not being able to breathe because their lungs are cut off. And the only way to breathe because of the weight of your body was those feet that are on that upper, uh, on that vertical shaft have to take the stress of pushing up and you have to push up so that you can breathe. And as you push up, you try to breathe the best you can for as long as you can hold yourself up on the excruciating pain in your legs and your ankles and your feet and your hips. You're gasping for breath. <sighs> And as long as you could stay there, you would breathe as much as you could because you're feeling as though you'll never breathe another breath again. And then down your body would go again because of the stress on the legs and the, and the muscular structure of, your, of the being would begin to give way. And down they'd go. And it wasn't long before they couldn't breathe again. And up they would come. Up they would push and get another one of those breaths. <sighs> And they were, they do this over and over and over. The subject on the cross just keeps doing it over and over, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, feeling as though they're going to die at any moment. At any moment, the heart begins to palpitate. The body begins to shut down. It begins to go through all kinds of horrible spasms. And the weight of the body and the arms being above the person and the subject on the cross 
would cause them when they would slump to pull their wrists out of their socket. And pretty soon the elbows would come out of the socket. And then finally the shoulders would come out of their socket. The person who was a subject of this, having become disjointed, would literally stretch their arms nine inches longer than they were supposed to be. Years ago when they'd done a study on the Shroud of Turin, and they've come to prove that that image that's on there is not a painted image. That image is put on there like an x-ray that something supernatural happened on that cloth. And for years, people criticized the image on the cross, on that cloth, because its arms were too long. But now that we understand the science of crucifixion and we understand what it does to the body, those arms are exactly the length of someone who died on a cross. During those moments of struggle to breathe as the up and down motion of the subject of the cross is up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Jesus screamed things while trying to get breath like, Father, forgive them. He would say things like, Father, why, why do I feel forsaken here? Why do I feel so alone? Why? I can tell you why. Because the sin of every man, woman, boy, and girl from Adam to the sounding of the trump was in a convergence over the cross of Calvary. The sky wasn't just dark because the clouds were dark outside, much like it is today. There was a convergence of demonic horde over that cross and the sin of every man, woman, boy, and girl who's ever sinned in this life. It was being ransomed in that moment as he gasped for breath until he finally said it is finished <laughs> in the Greek the word is to tell us die to tell us die it is finished to tell us die what does that mean it means paid in full on the cross they would always Put the accusation of your crime above your head. And every sin of every man was pinned to Jesus on that day. And he paid the price, one, one, for the sins of the many. Paid in full. The legal the, you were released legally. If you come to Christ, you've legally been released from sin. He paid the price. It's done in the courts of heaven. You'll never stand before your heavenly Father guilty because of what Christ Jesus has done. Look at this. In his final statement... As his final statement came, as he had finished the cup the Father had asked him to bear and to drink, he bowed his head, impaled 
suffocated, beaten beyond recognition. I can't say that the Shroud of Turin is a true artifact, but here's what I do know. In recent studies, they have studied the image on that cloth front and back. And the image on that cloth bears over 600 wounds. And the person and the subject of that cloth was scourged in the same manner as Christ Jesus, had a spear hole the same as Christ Jesus. Do you know there's over 600 Mosaic laws that need to be fulfilled? And on that day, Jesus Christ paid in full. Paid in full. Paid in full. 600, 600 laws paid in full. They're hanging impaled, suffocated, beaten beyond recognition, speared, tortured, punched, and had his beard torn in places from his face. As a convergence of darkness huddled over the cross in glee and sadistic glee, knowing and watching as the Son of God, the sinless Son of God died. The earth began to quake and to tremble. And when it did, the veil of the temple was torn in two to reveal that there was a false religion in the earth because the, because the Ark of the Covenant was not behind the veil. And what was dying on the cross was the subject of the Ark of the Covenant. He was the Son of God. He he is God incarnate. He is God. And the devil is a punk and an idiot to think that he could kill God. <laughs> oh, we're getting down to the good part now. Ooh, with those impaled arms outstretched as to say, come to me. He made the most barbaric, dastardly, horrific, shameful symbol of all time. The place of redemption. What died at the cross was sin and its consequences. You can't kill God, but sin can die. Sin can die. Sin can die. And Jesus was resurrected in life anew. And now that place of humiliation is the place of the overcomer. Jesus made you victorious in his death by proxy. And even though it should have been me, it should have been you, it was him. And when he said to tell us die, he paid forever for you a ransom to be with the master. But thank God for you and me, the price has already been paid. And by the surrender of our will and the confession of our faith in him, we win. Today, that symbol of death only means life and life abundantly. The torture rack is now simply a point of contact to leave behind the things that once threatened to kill you.
if you're struggling with an issue or a sin or an attitude or a disease today, I want you to understand to tell a sty, it's been paid in full. Today is the day that we can be free. Today is the day that we can declare our freedom. Today is the day that we can bring our burdens to the cross of Calvary. Those cross beams where Jesus' arms were stretched, cries, your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. That cross as it stands with its cross beams out, it's as if Jesus with his arms stretched out is saying, come unto me, ye who are, who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Mm. <laughs> I want you to understand something, and this is my final thought today, and please, Stick around because we are going to do communion here in just a moment. And so, Pastor Colleen, if you would get the communion things ready in this room. Because those of us who've shared in Christ, we have a right. We have a right to identify with him in this moment. We have a right to identify with him in what happened at Calvary. Again, I, I want to say a very special thank you to Miss Megan and her creativeness, Miss Megan Grooms and her creativeness and those who helped her to make this cross to your left. If you've seen it, yeah, that's all right, let her know. If you see this cross out here, you'll see that there are many signs on it. It's hard to tell that it's a cross because there are so many signs upon it. There are so many uh, there are so many things and words that are on that cross that it's hard to even make out the shape of that cross. The cross of Calvary must have looked similar to that on the day of crucifixion. I want you to see something here. Here are the words that are on that cross if you can't be close enough to read it. Words like lies, gossip, Abortion, adultery, hate, addiction, fear, fornication, same-sex attraction, envy, selfishness, pride, lust, sorrow, greed, rejection, unforgiveness, anger, pornography, Doubt, sickness, gluttony, complaining, idolatry, divorce, laziness, offense, resentment, jealousy, and suicide. And that list could go on and on and on, but as you can see, the cross is used up just with those words. But thank God in Christ Jesus there is nothing too deep nor no words too big that they cannot be brought to the cross. And you here today, I know most of you, I'm sure, are already born again children of the Most High God, but if on the outside chance that there's one of these things hanging in your life that hasn't been brought to the cross of Calvary, then today you can bring it to Jesus even as I speak. 
right here, right now, this moment, there's no distance between you and the Heavenly Father if you'll bring your sin to Telestai. It is paid in full. So nail it to the cross and leave it there because anything nailed to the cross dies on the cross. And if it dies on the cross, it will not resurrect. You've been resurrected into life new, but the sins that are nailed to the cross forever stay buried in the grave. So I want to pray with you right now. Even if you're born again, you may want to bow your head and just agree with me on this beautiful Easter morning. Father, we thank you for what this cross symbolizes. We thank you, Father, for the, what the one here attached to the building says. But God, we thank you for the cross of Calvary. We thank you for the cross of Jesus. Because, Father, we who are born again know, Father, that we've passed from life or from death unto life. We understand that. We'll never lose in this life because of the commitment that we've given unto Christ. To turn our back would have to be an act of rebellion. But Father, there might be somebody under the sound of my voice watching either by video device, Father, or those maybe even in the parking lot today who never thought about it this way, never heard it this way, and never implemented the salvation that was given so freely to them. The Bible says that if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus, Jesus is the Son of God, and He overcame your sin. It says that He will come into your heart if you invite him in and become the Lord of your life for the remainder of your years. If you've never prayed this prayer, I invite you to pray with me right now. All over this building, those of you who are watching online and those of you who are here on the parking lot with us, would you bow your head? Repeat after me, Lord Jesus. I didn't know, I didn't understand what your sacrifice meant. Now I understand that if I'll give you my sin and my inability to live right, you will give me your spirit to live within my soul, to forgive my sin, and to give me the strength to live a life of righteousness in Jesus. I want you to be my Lord, so forgive me of all my sin. Take up residency in my life, in my heart, 
all the days of my life. I will become a student of your word. I will become an ardent believer. From this day forward, I will serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there's one more significant thing that has happened if you prayed that prayer. Be sure you let us know that you have. Contact us in some way. And let us know you prayed that prayer. Those of you honking, thank you. I want you to understand this, that if you prayed that prayer and it was for the first time or if it's for the hundredth time, you've passed from death unto life. And you will, you will have with the Heavenly Father at the end of this life, life eternal. You've actually entered into it and you have been marked by His Spirit. And for as long as you live, you now belong to the Father. You are marked by Him. The only thing He asks is that you follow Him and you learn of Him and you grow in Him. And as long as you do that, you are guaranteed your place in eternity. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bible, believers, and new believers, we're going to take a, a, a communion at this time. And so if you're tuning in, you might not have realized we were going to do this. Those of you on the parking lot, we, we uh, kind of had given a heads up about this. We're going to take communion together today. And if you at home want to do it with us, uh, it doesn't have to be grape juice. It doesn't have to be a cracker. It can be whatever you can get your hands on because it's, it's not the element that matters. It's the commitment that matters. And so I want to read, as Jesus was getting ready and preparing himself for his betrayal and his will-bending prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, his conviction, his scourging, and his crucifixion. He had one last meal with his disciples before all of this took place, trying to get them to understand that what you're doing with me now has kingdom importance and eternal importance. For as often as you do this, you're siding with what I have done for you. You're letting the world know publicly, I belong to Christ. I have partaken of his goodness. I have drank of his redemption. I have drank of his remission of my sickness and my disease called sin. And History tells us that the disciples took this meal often because they equated it not only with spiritual healing but with physical healing. For Jesus died for us body, soul, and spirit. And on that night, as he got his disciples together, one last time, and Jesus promised he would never do this again until we make it to the marriage supper of the Lamb. But he took and he used these elements that we're going to use as an object lesson 
of His goodness. Just prior to this, He came to several people who had followed Him and He said, the multitude who followed Him for the fish and loaves miracle, He says, if you really want kingdom purpose, then you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it, it, it repelled them and caused them to run from Him and leave Him. Why did Jesus make such a drastic act? Because he's looking for a heart that's sold out. He's looking for someone who's dedicated. He turned to his disciples after the, the, the throng and the crowd left after that statement and said, will you leave me too? And they answered him, where else could we go? For you alone have the words of life. And this has become a solemn tradition in Christianity because Christ asked us to do it often as a reminder that if we consume Him, if we let Him take away and do what we cannot do, we will share in His reward in the presence of our Heavenly Father. For we've been made joint heirs. Matthew, the 26th chapter, and the 26th verse. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it. and Gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. If you have your wafer, your cracker, if you would hold it up, Father, as Jesus blessed the bread, we likewise, Father, lift up, Father, understanding that this is a symbol of our solidarity to our Savior. This is a symbol that says sold out, lock, stock, and barrel. This is a symbol that says I'm going to consume your word, because you are the living word. And I'm going to learn every jot and every tittle. That's every expression in your word that I might know you intimately. So, Father, we ask, Lord, that you would bless this to the nourishment of our body, our soul, and our spirit, that as we partake of this, Father, we partake, Father, of who Christ is and we are not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, and we will stand with him throughout eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. You may partake. And then verse 27. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. Oh, I love that. Drink it all. Drink him in. Mm. For this is my blood of the New Testament. It's a new covenant that has been written. No longer do you have to keep the law. You're in by grace. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission, the removal the subtraction of disease, of sins. And then he goes on and says, I will not drink henceforth of the fruit of this vine until the day 
when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Father, we lift up our cup to you. And we so associate with the forgiveness that you have given us. As we look at that cross, Father, that's to our left left outside, God, it is a symbol of the things that we've attached to the cross of Calvary that we might walk into eternal life. And by the drinking of this symbolism, Father, we're saying we drink you in, Jesus. We drink in every aspect of who you are. We receive all of the healing that you have for us, body, soul, and spirit. And as we partake of this fruit of the vine. We're going to continue to do it and remind ourselves of what a wonderful gift you have given us. And one day we're going to drink this again with you in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Father, thank you for your sacrifice. And Jesus, thank you for the shedding of your blood. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We would love to connect with you on Facebook or Instagram at Passion Church Mo. Until next time, God bless.